0: But well, we have been taking a look at stories to live by. So I've been going through the Bible through the summer here and into the fall and just looking at different Bible stories. Some from the Old Testament, some from the New Testament, some we've looked at like the entire book of Job in one story, some we've looked at just one healing of Jesus. It's been kind of all over the place, but the theme has been story. And and I wanted to keep that going as we came into fall, but I also wanted this to feel a little bit different, right? So we, we're doing communion, we're having, we, we've made the bulletins a little different, and I wanted to have the sermons be a little different, but I wanted to keep up that story sort of theme. So I decided what we're going to do is we're going to look at parables to live by here in October. So we're going to look at stories, but in particular we're going to look at stories that Jesus told as sort of part of his teachings. Now the, the challenge is, i preached some of the parables. I've already preached a bunch of the good ones you know. Hey, I already preached the prodigal son. I've preached uh, the Good Samaritan. And so we're going to do parables, but we're probably going to do some parables you ain't never heard before. (laughs) Okay? That's all right. I want to expose you to some of these anyway, and uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun along the way. But but to introduce this idea of parable, parable is a a story. It's normally a short story. Some of them are very small stories. The the Greek literally means to toss aside, uh, alongside. Okay? So when Jesus... It's doing a parable, or when other philosophers and and Greek philosophers would teach with parables, they basically would take life and toss a little story beside it so that you would compare the two. So that that literally just means. So actually, some parables are really just metaphors. Just one image. I'm the bread of life. That's kind of a mini parable. It's a metaphor. But then some parables are longer. And in the passages we're gonna look at today. It's actually uh, several little parables, sort of building to a bigger parable. Okay, we're in Luke 14. Luke 15 is the most famous time Jesus does that because he tells three parables: a lost sheep, a lost coin, and two lost sons. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. Um, but that's Luke 15. In Luke 14, he tells several little stories, all based around the table. So my suggestion is, if you grab a Bible in your pew, if you have a Bible, if you have a smartphone, and you get a Bible, you may just want to follow along as we go through the story in Luke 14, because I'm just going to go kind of a couple of verses at a time, and we're going to walk right through it. The, the big question that we've got to ask, though, before we get into the story is, what do we do with parables? Now, a lot of times when uh, people approach parables, even scholars and pastors have said, well, a parable has to have a point. And normally pastors and scholars would say, oh, there's only one point. When you have a parable, you have to, what is the point of the parable? The problem is, stories aren't like that. Okay? I know another scholar who says there's a point in a parable per person, per character in the story. That seems way too formulaic for me. Okay? Besides the fact that who hears a story and says, what's the point? If I told you a story, okay, here's, the, here's the gist of a story. I woke up this morning, I had a nail in my tire. So my tire, when I got to here, was whistling because the air was getting out. I had to go to Walmart. It was a big to-do, right? It would be rude if after I told you that story, you'd be like, hey, Jordan, what was the point of that story? <laughs> what was the point? Why did you tell me that? Yeah, no, worry. it could be a lot. Some stories might have no point. Some stories might have lots of different points. So I don't think stories, I don't think the parables of Jesus are about points. Okay? That's a very modern way to think about anything. It's not a very Jewish way of thinking about anything. Okay, I think what Jesus is actually doing. I love what a passionate Matt Chandler talks about in parables. Jesus is deconstructing and reconstructing. What he's doing is he's taking something that's happening in the world, in the culture, in somebody's way of thinking. He's picking it apart with a story, and then he is restructuring. He, he's re-constructing, he's putting it back together so that people start to think and act differently. So let's let's watch for the deconstruction and reconstruction in these little stories. Again, I'm in Luke 14. Let me just read verse 1. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So we get a context for this story. A lot of times the context is very important. Where is Jesus teaching this? Who is listening to the story? It tells us a lot about what Jesus is trying to do with the story. So who are the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees were a sect, a, a thought movement, a subgroup of Judaism. They believed that Israel was in danger. Okay, what they believed was, how, why did we go into exile? Why did we get carried off into Babylon and Persia? It's because we lost sight of who God was and who we were meant to be with God. And so what we've got to do is we've got to get holy. We've got to be the people that God made us to be. And, and they were convinced that the, the temple was corrupt. So they said, no, the, the center of Jewish life, of being faithful to God, is not the temple. It's got to be the house. It's got to be the local synagogue. We've got to try to be holy in ourselves, because the temple was just too corrupt. And so the Pharisees were all about that. And so what became some of the major things they would focus on was your own personal holiness. What you ate, what you drank, what you did on the Sabbath. They were convinced that to save Israel, they had to get these things right. And by this point in, in Luke, Jesus has already really ticked them off. Because Jesus doesn't care about the things they seem to care about. He does all kinds of stuff on the Sabbath they think he shouldn't. He hangs out with all kinds of people that are unclean that they should. That's the whole context of Luke 15. He's eating with sinners and tax collectors. Why would you eat with those people? To eat with somebody is to welcome them. Why would you welcome somebody who's a sinner, who who isn't right with God? See, that's dangerous for all of Israel if we don't live proper kinds of lives. So the Pharisees are very, very serious. We know of one important one. His name was Saul. We also call him Paul. And he was a pretty serious dude. And they did not like Jesus. But this Pharisee invites Jesus over for a big Sabbath meal. And the text tells us that they're watching him. Like, like bring your enemies closer, almost. Friends close, enemies closer. Like, let's get Jesus in here. So that's the context. We're at a meal. Also, Jesus' popularity is growing. So maybe they want to understand what's going on here. Verse 2. Behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Jesus responded to the, to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to this, to these things. Okay, dropsy is an old term, we don't use it anymore, but it, it was a term for soft tissue that swells up. Okay, when you puff. Now nobody says that because what we actually say is the cause of whatever that is. Okay, so if you've ever been around somebody with congestive heart failure, their feral, heart doesn't pump enough to move the fluid so they puff up. A lot of times your legs first, right? That, so there's all kinds of things that could do that, but that was generally in those days called dropsy. And Jesus turns to the Pharisees and asks them a brilliant question. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Well, I have news for you. There's no rules about healing on the Sabbath. Hey, the, the, none of the Pharisees are having this problem. Like, oh no, I only heal on Mondays because I can't heal on other days and I'm not allowed to heal on the Sabbath, right? There's no rule for healing on the Sabbath. Okay? What's the problem? The, the problem for them isn't the Sabbath part, it's the healing part. They aren't healing anybody. There's no rule for this. And so they can't say, no, you're not allowed to heal. Who's going to tell somebody that can heal that they're not allowed to heal? That's a ridiculous assumption. So Jesus heals the person and then pushes them even further. And he says, if you have a son, or you have an animal, you have an ox, and he falls in a well, do you wait till Monday to pick him up? You just leave them in there. Like, oh no, I can't work. Can't dig them out on a... a, It would have been Sabbath, right? So in those days it was Saturday. But I'm not waiting until Monday. I'm going to get that person... See, what he understands is that the people are more important than the rules, but that is not where the Pharisee mentality is. So they can't even reply. They can't even say anything to him. So that's kind of a mini parable, right? Now, the text says, verse 7... Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, now let, let's pick up, let, let's make sure we're understanding what Jesus is deconstructing here. In the Roman Empire, where you sat at a meal at a banquet was everything. Very similar to middle school uh, lunchroom, right? Where you got a cool table, and you got the non-cool table, and you got the, the nerds over here, and you got the, right? Everybody sorted into their categories, at a meal. And the, the closer you sat to the host at the head of the table, the more important you were. And then, so, so what you would do is, you, this, is a, this is a culture based in shame. Avoiding shame and then keeping everybody else shamed where they should be. And so the goal was, you want to sit close to the host, and so you're fighting for position. And then you didn't want to sit in the back of the room or down the hall, because then you were really an outsider. Right? So there's this jostling. Like, where do I stand? In fact, I I begin to wonder as we read these stories, if maybe Jesus is critical of this in particular because of how the host invited him to this party. But we'll get to that. So, uh, Jesus notices this jostling. He tells this parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit at the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited in by him. And he who invited you both will come to you and say, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. If Part of what Jesus is always doing in the parables is trying to teach the upside-downness of this kingdom. The last... No, they're, they're not. They're going to be first. Not the first, the first they're going to be last. You know what I mean? You want to you keep your life? Oh, you've got to lose your life. There's, a, there's an upside-downness. There's a backwardsness to God's kingdom that doesn't work the way people expect it to. So what does he say? He said, when you go to the party, don't try to sit at the head table because then you're going to get embarrassed when somebody more important comes from you and then you've got to scoot down. And then you've got to scoot down again for somebody more important. And then you've been asked to scoot down three times. And now you look bad in front of everybody. Go sit in the back of the room. So that when the host sees you and welcomes you, you say, hey, come on up here. And you, now you're honored in front. See, you're, you're going to actually be honored if you take the lower seat. See, there's an important theme going on here. It comes out of the Old Testament, places like Isaiah 25, that when the Messiah comes, that he was going to host a banquet. A banquet of peace. Where, where the, where, and prosperity, so that all Israel will understand when the Messiah comes, there's going to be this big banquet. And I hope you're already starting to think: banquet? Jesus hosted it. We're going to have a banquet later. And, and then Revelation ends with the banquet, right? There's this giant banquet going to take place. So Jesus already started to pick up on this theme: But you know what really matters is where you sit at the big banquet. There's, there, this little piddly stuff you guys are into isn't going to do much. Then he, Jesus turns, so he's, he's talked to the crowd. Now he's going to talk to the person who invited him. He said, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So in this shame culture, part of how you got ahead was how, who you invited. Right? And if you invited somebody, reciprocity is a very important thing in a shame culture. So if I invite you to a wedding, you better invite me to your wedding. So when I want to get ahead, what do I do? I invite the most important people to my banquet so that when they have a banquet they have to invite me and now I've up my standing. And I look good because I have all these important people that were at my, my feast. What did Jesus say? No. No, don't do, don't do that. Invite. Who does he say? The crippled, the poor, the lame, and the blind. Why? Because you get no gain in standing from inviting those people. I think what Jesus is doing is he's reading the room. And he looks around and he's saying, Hey, i got a lot of pretty important people here. Pretty important. And also pretty and important people. i got the most important people in the room. You know who's not in the room? The least important. The least the lost and broken. The poor, the lame. See, I, I can look around the room and say, oh, there's some people you did not invite to this party. And maybe Jesus is also right here critiquing that he got invited. Like, you didn't really want me here, you just wanted my popularity here. You just want to gain on my, my standing and what's going on for me. He says, no, you want to worry about inviting those people that you're going to get benefit from in the resurrection, not now. Then, verse 15, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. This is, seems like, at a, first, a nice, pious thing to say. This Pharisee's figured it out. He's not just talking about this banquet. He's talking about the, the banquet of, like, he reads it, right? Oh, he's talking about the banquet of the kingdom of God. He's talking, yeah, although, although, I think he's also kissing up here. I think he's also showing off. He's trying to look good in front of the whole, Oh, Jesus, I know what you're talking about. So but here's the problem. Jesus is going to tell him a parable to teach him this. The problem is the people you think are going to the final banquet may not be there. And the people that you think aren't going to make it, eh, they may be there. He's going to deconstruct those assumptions. So here we go with the biggest parable of this little table talk. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to all those who were invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became so angry that he sent his servant, and he said, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. That list sounds familiar, right? Jesus already mentioned those people. And the servant said, Sir, we, what you have commanded has already been done. There's still room. And the master said, Well, go to the highways, the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who, who were invited shall taste my banquet. So here's the story. Jesus tells about a man who has invited a bunch of people. And apparently there's a two-invite two process, right? It's like an earlier, save the date, where well, you know this is coming, and then the servants go out to actually tell you, okay, party's on, let's do this. Okay? But when well, we get some excuses, right? Oh, I, have a, I bought a field I gotta go see. I just bought some oxen, I need to go look at them. I got married and I can't come. Those, at first glance, seem like, okay, you got work to do. I understand work, you got, you got work to do, you've got, you got family to take care of, I get those things. But, but notice, notice a few things about this, right? Okay, you bought a field. you got to go see it? You didn't look at it before you bought it. Right? In those days, that's, that, this, this really might be a lie. Because to buy something, you had to write in the contract what all was on the field. Means you had to look at it. You had to go right at the top. You mean to tell me you bought a field, you bought property, you didn't look at it? You, uh, you bought, uh, this person bought oxen. Now he's got to go see him. You bought a car, you didn't even look at it. You bought a car, you didn't even go see it. And how about this married person? I got married, I can't come. Yeah, bring your wife. Dude, like, what, what is the problem here? I don't understand. Uh, like, bring her to the party. What do you mean you're going to look at your oxen? It's evening time. It's banquet time. Nobody's traveling now. See, these very well seem to be... These could be read as lies. If not lies, they're really lame. Okay? And remember, there's a shame culture. Which means if I reject an invitation for you to come to the banquet, I am in some ways rejecting you. Like I won't eat with you. In other words, these people are willing to risk their relationship with the host of the banquet... Because I gotta go see a bottom, I gotta go see a bottom property. Yeah, it's, if, if it's not a lie, it's a really lame excuse. And you can tell that because the host gets angry. So what does the host do? He said, okay, forget those people. In fact, he uninvites them. That's an important detail. Because in, in a lot of cultures, when you invited somebody to a banquet or to a marriage feast, if they didn't come, it was expected you would send them a gift, you'd send them cake. It used to be, uh, in Europe, they, they used more of like a fruit cake kind of thing. So it kept a little better than I, I can't imagine mailing wedding cake today. But people actually, even as of maybe 50 years ago, people would still mail pieces of cake. Or deliver pieces of cake to people that could not make the party. So when the, to uninvite them is to say, forget it, you're not even getting cake. You're not even getting a gift. You're not even getting a thank you, a welcome. No, I'm not even excusing you. I'm uninviting you. And what does he say? Go out to the streets. Go out the streets and the lanes. Those are the local streets. Go all around town. Find anybody you can. We're having this party. We got food. Let's do this. The servants say, hey, we, we still got space. We got everybody we could. We still got space. Many ways he say, go to the highways, the byways. Okay? Forget my community. Go to the next community next door. Get people that are traveling on Route 376. Bring them in here. We got a party. We're going to rock this place. Why? Because those who were invited aren't even going to get to taste the banquet. You see what Jesus has done? He has totally critiqued the Pharisees right here. Okay? Like, okay, you think you're in. You think you're in on this blank banquet. And you were invited. You know the prophets. You know the Old Testament. You know, you're, and, and here I am, the host of the party. Here I am, the Messiah who's ready to host the main banquet. I'm here, and you're rejecting me. And you don't have a clue who's invited to this party. So you know what? I'm going to go invite people that are going to come into the party. I'm going to go find the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind. And man, does that take the Pharisees off. But that's exactly what, but what Jesus is saying in this parable. Hey, you were invited. And you know what? You've got some pretty lame excuses why you ain't getting on board with this. as you should know this party's here. Do you see the the brilliance of the storytelling here? What Jesus has done is he has critiqued the entire room. He critiqued the seating arrangements, then he critiqued the host, now he's critiquing the Pharisees themselves. He has set up in these stories who he is and who they should treat him as and how they are missing the boat. So the story has two faces, right? We can see the critique, but you also see the amazing grace and love that Jesus has. Like, okay, you religious people that should know this, you're going to reject it. Well, guess what? I'm going to go find anybody else that's willing to go into this party. Everybody's invited to this party. And you were, and you're missing it. Your lame excuses are going to keep you out of this party, but I'm going to go get the people you don't want in this party, and they're going to come in. See, so what's the point of these stories? Gosh, I can make a bunch of points. I can make, there's more points... Maybe what we should ask is a bunch of questions. Let me give you a few. In what ways have you made faith more about following rules instead of following Jesus? How much energy do you spend trying to be seen as important and hang out with those who look important? And what could you do with your life if you stopped all those efforts and just did what Jesus asked you to do and loved who Jesus asked you to love? Where do you need to be more humble? Where do you need to not care what all these other people think? Where in your life are you giving time and energy to those people who will never give anything back to you? Like, who are you loving for the sake of loving them, not for what you get out of them? Who are the lame, the blind, the crippled, the poor in your life? Where are those people you're ignoring? What are the lame excuses you're giving to Jesus? Where you're being dishonest with Him, or you're being dishonest with yourself. Instead of loving the people that God has called you to love. And, and man, this is so hard for churches. Because so often for churches, we like to love the people that will give us something. Like, the, like we, want, we want good church members. You know, we want people who can fill our plates, and can volunteer. And can, no, but what if, what if Jesus called us to love people that can't give us anything? Actually, maybe those are exactly the people we need to be first striving for. It's so easy for churches, for Christians to love people for something you get rather than just loving them. And today is World Communion Sunday. Sunday started, by the way, at Shady Side Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh. And, and where a number of denominations around the world make sure that they do communion on this day. And and that's that's so powerful. It's one of my favorite Sundays. Because in the end, we, we're reminded that not every church has what we have. Not every Christian is living the life that we are living. So as we prepare for communion, remember what this banquet is. Because what this really is, is an appetizer for the big banquet coming at the end of time. This is, a, this is an appetizer. A little, little sampling of the banquet to come at the resurrection of the just, in Jesus' words. All are invited. So who are we inviting to be there with us?